today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Email todaycb at rte.ie now, Donald Trump's comments on NATO have been criticised both in the United States and in Europe. His Republican opponent in the presidential primaries, Nikki Haley, accused him of embracing a thug who kills his opponents. The NATO Secretary General, Jens Stoltenberg, said Trump's outburst undermines all of our security and puts American and European soldiers at increased risk. Donald Trump said he would let Russia do whatever the hell they want to members of the alliance that don't pay enough for defence. So what will relations be like? between the United States and Russia if Donald Trump returns to power. To talk about this in more detail, I'm joined now by John Everard, former British ambassador to Belarus and North Korea, and also Leslie Vinjamuri, who is director of US and America's programme with Chatham House. And John, to yourself first, thank you both for being with us. What do you think the impact of these comments would be? How concerned should NATO be about what he said? And is it something that Vladimir Putin might think of acting on, should Donald Trump win the election in November? No, I think quite the opposite. I think Vladimir Putin will have heard those comments and just put his head in his hands and wept. Uh, You see, uh, whatever happens in Ukraine is going to happen over the next several months, maybe into next year, we'll we'll see. The big question is whether Vladimir Putin uh, attacks an actual NATO country, over which, as you know, there's a lot of worry. Now, the effect of Trump's remarks are, firstly, he hands an ace to Joe Biden. Um, Joe Biden, not long ago, very worried, I'm sure, about all this uh, uh, concern over his mental health, over his cognitive impairment. Suddenly, America's talking about something quite different, about the the Republican nominee, all but, who simply cannot keep his mouth shut and says these stupid things. But secondly, it has spurred the Europeans. I don't know whether you saw uh, German Chancellor Schultz's speech as he inaugurated uh, the, 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 the building of a brand new, very large factory to produce lots and lots of 155 millimeter shells. Mm. But, but he, he made very clear that he had heard what Trump had said, and he said Europe has got to produce its own munitions. Now, that won't happen in time for the war in Ukraine, but that factory will be operational in plenty of time for any plans that Vladimir Putin might have had to attack, I don't know, the Baltics or perhaps even, heaven forfend, Poland. Uh, it's geared Europe up. It sent shockwaves uh, through countries that might not have been spending as much as they probably should on their defence. And if Vladimir Putin uh, tries anything against NATO, he knows now that even without the United States, that European NATO is going to be able to put up such a fight, he'll think twice. Well, you mentioned Germany, and Germany is one of the countries that had struggled to reach the 2% of its GDP spending on defence. I think it will hit that point, John, this year. So those comments perhaps might have the effect of spurring those countries on who hadn't been spending the 2% to get there. Yes, absolutely. Germany now committed to that 2% and also, very importantly, urging everybody else to follow Germany's example and reach 2%. The Germans have made clear that if they can do it, so can everybody else. What a turnaround. I mean, the great lard in NATO spending all of a sudden charges to the front and leads. Uh, I mean, this goes way beyond this discussion, Claire, but this also raises real questions of who is actually leading NATO. With Charles Schultz saying the kind of things he is and a possible future US president 
saying what we just heard President Trump say, F1 President Trump say, uh, it seems to me that the leadership of NATO may be shifting a bit from Washington to Europe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Charles Michel, the President of the European Council, said in in the wake of these comments, John, that um, they make more urgent Europe's nascent efforts to develop its strategic autonomy and invest in its defence. And there are those in Europe who believe it's a folly now to rely on NATO. Do you think that what Donald Trump has said furthers the notion of a European defence movement? I think a lot of people will read his remarks in that way. It's not an analysis I'd support. I think Europe is far better staying, far better off rather, staying in Europe, uh, staying in in NATO, beg your pardon, um, even if there are doubts over uh, US commitment to NATO under a possible Trump administration. Uh, I I think that simply hiving yourself off uh, into Strategic autonomy, I hate that phrase, would be a mistake. (laughs) All right, John, thank you very much for joining us. I want to turn to Leslie now, Vinja Mori, who is with us from Chatham House. Just on how Vladimir Putin will have viewed these comments, I think John said at the beginning that he would have his head in his hands. Will, though, it be a win for him and for Russia to have Donald Trump back in the White House if that is what happens in November? I mean, I think, look, I think we have to separate out a couple of things. On, on the on the one point, it's it's clearly the case that Europe feels the pressure of the prospect that Donald Trump could return to the White House, and certainly, you know, to your question, the leader of Russia will be feeling that, in my view, as a very strongly positive outcome were it to happen. Um, but I but I think you know it's it's risky to turn this into a conversation about what Europe is spending, uh, whether it's hitting that two percent target, something that it's been you know under pressure to do since 2014, started to do since before Donald Trump came into office and has continued to push forward on after Russia's invasion. The, the really risky thing though about Donald Trump's comments are you know the in effect an incitement to an adversary who has invaded the sovereign territory of Ukraine to do what it wishes to do with respect to um, America's closest allies, those in NATO, is shocking um, and, and clearly has put you know many Americans on the defensive. If you look really across Congress, there is a silent majority of members of Congress, and that includes the Republican Party who support NATO, who support defending Ukraine. And what's happened uh, is that Donald Trump has got a lock on the Republican Party. Um, we are now seeing a very interesting, um, intense division and debate surrounding this question of foreign assistance, most especially for Ukraine, um, with several Republicans pu- trying to push a package through the Senate, the House you know, leader, Speaker of the House, saying that he's not going to take it forward. So it's really also opening up um, a, a crack in the Republican Party that we've known is there, but is now rising to the fore. So again, I think these da- these talk these comments are are dangerous. They're not simply a conversation about you know how much Europe spends. It's about a leader, a former leader of the United States, who I think we should all be deeply wary of. And not try to turn it into, you know, a positive for Europe. This is a very dangerous form of leadership. Why is Donald Trump pandering to Vladimir Putin if that's what he is doing? Because we can see the advantage for Vladimir Putin in cozying up to Donald Trump. But what is the relationship on the other side of this? What is going on? 
And we've never known, there have been formal investigations at every level over many years. We know about these of what Donald Trump's relationship was with Putin um, on questions of, you know, 2016 election interference, all sorts of things. And we've never really gotten to the bottom of that. But what we do know is that Trump has very effectively used the question of, you know, two things to really rally support. Um, One for him, um, one is the question of immigration at America's southern border. And the second one is America's doing too much overseas, especially in Europe, for Ukraine that doesn't really contribute to its own national security interests and to the interests of people's livelihoods and 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 his relationship with Putin um, and his attacks on America's defense of Ukraine have really become integral to that message. This is a former president who is on the campaign trail. He knows that in effect an incumbent for the Republican Party, he's not actually doing as well as he should. He shouldn't have Nikki Haley in New Hampshire getting 41% of the vote in a, in a, in an in a, in, a, in a race that's really about a, a primary, not a general election where he's already been selected. That's not a good number for him, even though he came out winning. And and ever since that New Hampshire primary, he's really gone on the warpath um, to, again, stoke up that division around border security, push back against uh, U.S. defense of Ukraine and sending any money. And most recently with, with these very incendiary comments with respect to so Russia and you, NATO. Are you suggesting then that he's he and his campaign team are worried about Nikki Haley? Of course they are, because what Nikki Haley represents is, you know, a moderate alternative. It's not that she's going to win, but she's got a very prominent voice out there that's giving giving the sense of an alternative to a Republican Party that is deeply divided, has an internationalist wing, clearly has um, at the at the level, the surface level, been captured um, by Donald Trump and a certain kind of nativism, but still has many, you know, Republicans that are, you know, what they call Republican in name only, that are never Trumpers, that are looking for a party. And Nikki Haley is trying to um, create a space for that conversation in the United States, regardless of whether she has any uh, capacity to get traction in, in a future primary doesn't look likely, but she's still out there in a way that's really um, unsettling the former president. Leslie, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Leslie Vinjamori there. We're talking next about the people who are always late. Are they inconsiderate or can they just not help it? We've already had some messages on this. Always late, says a listener. I know several people whose excuse is I don't want to arrive early. Okay, we'll we'll talk about that. Uh, Another one, whatever about being late, there's nothing more annoying than someone who's always too early ringing you to tell you they're there half an hour before you're supposed to meet. 51551, that's next. Text 51551. Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.